0: Hello Flight Instructors and NAFI members, this is John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors, and as always, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And uh, today, our uh, episode is actually brought to you by the NAFI Professional Development Program. Now, if you're not familiar with the uh, PDP, is what we call it for short, um, it is a group of courses uh, and a program that was designed to help instructors figure out two things. A, all of the things that they weren't told they needed to know, things that aren't covered under the check ride, but uh, when that first student shows up and asks you, hey, what about this? And you kind of scratch your head and go, Yeah, I don't know. We talk about that. We've got uh, 30 courses, 25 right now, 30 coming by the end of uh, December this year. So we're excited about that. And uh, it ranges anything from the teaching process to basic business development, um, ethics in flight training, what is a professional instructor, and so many more and uh, actually, when the 30th course comes out, there's also um, a, uh, a really cool thing that Bose has done. They have allowed us to have, um, I believe it's four headsets, and the first four to complete the NAFI PDP will receive a Bose headset. Um, and uh, so that's exciting. And additionally, we want to thank... Jepson uh, for sponsoring the NAFI PDP. None of this would happen without uh, Jepson and Boeing, so we thank them for everything that they've done. Now, without further ado, the uh, program you're about to listen to is actually um, something that was designed for Mentor Live by a gentleman, um, Mike Thompson. He's a I and a retired college dean, and he specializes in telling is not teaching. The idea that uh, just because you're saying the words doesn't mean that the student is actually picking up what you're putting down and truly understanding what you're trying to tell them. Um, It's a two-part series, so in two weeks when we run the next episode of More Right Rudder, the part two will follow. Um, There's a lot to learn here. It's some really great information. I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, here we go.
1: Mike has a great book, "Telling Is Not Teaching." Brings his years of experience as a flight instructor, instructional designer, college dean to the uh, to the flight line. It's a breakthrough book because it talks about how we learn, teach, and learn as human beings. I've read it; it's a tremendous book. So, whether you're new or a veteran teacher, you're going to benefit from this book. We'll be covering chapter one tonight, and uh, with no further ado, Mike Thompson. Thank you, Bob. Thank you very much. So um, where the new school is
2: old school. And uh, if we can go to the next slide, um, I want you to be clear that when I wrote this book, I wrote it to parallel the aviation instructor handbook that Bob just showed you. If you're familiar with that handbook, you know there's nine chapters. I break those nine chapters up into uh, three sections. The first three chapters I consider to be pretty much educational psychology. Um, oh, back one slide. Um, there you go. The second three really talk about curriculum and the last three really talk about our profession. The reason I put this, or, or uh, the reason we put this slide up here tonight is I want you to know that tonight, we're gonna talk about uh, chapter one and in March, we're gonna talk about chapter two. But uh, here at NAF, we're pretty excited about our professional development program and want you to know, we all want you all to know that the, uh, the balance chapters three through nine will be available and taught as part of the professional development uh, program. So please bear that in mind. All right, so with that, let's jump into session one. Um, session one is human behavior. And uh, sometimes I kind of refer to uh, my book, Paralleling Aviation Instructor Handbook as the rest of the story. So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, in chapter one, that's the next slide. In chapter one, we, I talk about teaching as a gift. Uh, teaching and learning truly is a gift. And it's a two-way gift. It's a gift to the learner. It's actually a gift also to the, to the teacher. Um, so who cares? Big deal. Who cares? I care. We care as instructors, <clears throat> excuse me. We care as professional teachers. Caring is critical. Caring means a relationship. Um, If I'm imparting educational material or I'm imparting any kind of training, um, without that relationship, I'm really just telling. I could be standing at a lectern, I could be posting a printed material, I'm just telling somebody something. If we're really teaching, um, we're caring. And if we're caring, we're in a relationship. one of the things we hear about in training and education all the time is uh efficiency new technology uh caring takes time uh retraining is expensive and as as bob told you in in my introduction um, i had been doing this for a long time and that's absolutely true it does take a lot of time but here's what i learned teaching in a relationship actually takes less time than telling Uh, it seems counterintuitive but it's true when we tell learners things they don't necessarily really get it and we end up doing it over and over and over and over all of us have probably had some of these flight students we think boy why is this you know what should be mastered in 10 hours taking 40 hours because we're not teaching it to them. We're not breaking it down into building blocks and laying a foundation. And we find ourselves, by telling, actually taking more time. So yeah, it does take more time. Teaching does take more time. But because we're breaking it down and laying a foundation, in the end, it really is less time. So how about the use of technology? Does that mean if we're advocating relationships and and human to human teaching and learning that you know we're anti-technology? Absolutely not. Just like in airplanes and cockpits, we talk about all available resources. The same is true in education and teaching and learning. We we advocate and want to use and try to learn and incorporate um, every new piece of technology there is. But we cannot make the mistake of thinking that. Just because it's technology, that's going to speed things up. Human beings are not widgets. Um, no matter how fancy the technology is, humans are still humans. We can't treat them like widgets moving through an assembly line. It still takes time to get to know that learner and help them learn what they need to and teach them properly. So. That's what I mean when I say the new school is old school. In spite of these great advancements in technology, and I support them all, really teaching involves the time it takes to build a relationship. Why? Because the human brain and human psychology is essentially the same as it's been for you know, 8, 9, 10,000 years now. The brain learns pretty much the way it has for a long time. Meanwhile, technology's advanced. But we still learn the way way we always have. So um, the new school, it is the old school. Good teaching is still good teaching. And the gift, of course, is caring. Caring about the student building that relationship. So one of the things um, we talk about is constant improvement. This is on the next slide. In the very title of our profession, we have instructor, we're certified flight instructors. Um, So how do we become better? How do we improve as instructors? Well, first of all, I'd like to point out that if you're even asking that question, that's the first step, (laughs) that's the right attitude just to even ask myself, how do I get better? All right, you're on the right track. If that's the attitude you have, you're gonna get better. So um, better at what? Well, we're talking about getting better at instruction. So let's look at what instruction is. And in my experience, I sometimes see um, a, a sort of a competition between teachers, well, you know, um you are just a lowly technical college instructor you just teach welding or you're a flight instructor me you know i'm this lofty professional who teaches you know philosophy or economics at the phd level that attitude towards yourself from either end is um counterproductive no matter what we're teaching at what level um If I'm instructing, I'm typically looking at something um, in more detail and I'm being more procedurally precise. Uh, For example, when we instruct in airplanes, you know, we have a lot of technical things that we focus in on procedures, tire tread on a Um, pre-flight. In education, we generally think of um, expanding up and out. So less specific, it's more about questions and formulating provocative questions and looking at questions we don't know the answer to. So we reject the premise to say, which is better? Neither one is better. They're both critical. They're both integral. To drive that point home, um, I have this quote here on the slide in, in my book. And I think it's attributed to John Gardner, although I'm not one hundred percent sure, but this society which scores excellent in plumbing because it's a humble activity, tolerates shoddiness in philosophy because it's an exalted activity, will neither have good plumbing nor good philosophy. Neither its pipes nor its theories will hold water. So that's kind of the idea. They're equally important. They're equally critical. And as flight instructors, we do both. So. Um, John, let's move to the next slide and talk about what is instruction. Well, so instruction and education go hand in hand. So what is teaching? Well, it's a difficult thing to define. And part of the way I start to define it in the book is by defining what it's not. One thing we know is that it's not just telling. It's not just talking. Teaching includes things like breaking it down into building blocks, um, developing curriculum, <clears throat> planning assessments, um, creating um, or buying or adapting materials. All of these things are part of instruction, part of teaching. And they're rarely, if ever, the same. And they're never the same from student to student. So this starts to get real messy real fast. So teaching is messy telling is nice and neat and clean telling is efficient and fast and neat teachings messy and what i mean by that is every every individual is unique every individual is going to be different it is going to be messy later on in chapter six chapters four and chapter six we talk about developing developing lesson plans and 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 designing instruction and putting together syllabi. And if we do that properly, we build for ourselves a framework within which this messiness can take place. So that comes up later in the book. Um, Let's talk a little bit uh, on the next slide about what is learning. This is equally difficult to define. There are a lot of theories in um, epistemology, in philosophy, the philosophy of knowledge, uh, a lot of theories in education, you know, what exactly is this? And one of the things I think that scares flight instructors away from the aviation instructor handbook is having this conversation, you know, oh, my goodness, am I going to need a
1: graduate degree in education to pass the FOI? If I can jump in for just a second. I, I obviously as an instructors instructor that um, that sounds too high minded excuse me somebody who teaches instructors okay um, I've run into this where people have said I don't I'm a technical guy I don't get it and the first question I always ask is do you have a family and they go well yes of course well then you've used fundamentals of instruction you just don't know it you've, right. you, you've managed your family You've managed your kid brother, you managed your mom, you've taught them things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. absolutely. Um,
2: you have taught them things and, and, and the flip side of that is they've learned things and we learn things. And the reason I mentioned that, thank you, Bob, is because most learning, believe it or not, is informal. We tend to think of learning as in a classroom, an in instruction environment, at a flight school, in an online course. Actually, that's the vast, by far, the, min- the minority of the learning that you'll do across your life. So there's a lot of theories out there. Uh, it's necessary to help us push along our understanding of what le- uh, uh, learning and teaching is. But should you take the time to read those, and of course, you don't have to. Uh, you, know, you can certainly master the fundamentals of instruction without picking up every learning theory that's out there. But you'll see a commonality. They generally by and large start to agree on the fact that when we see a human being change their behavior, we say that learning has occurred. Well, you may or may not know, um, if you're an instructor, hopefully you know, if you're learning this, maybe you're seeing it for the first time. That's the definition that we use in the FAA. Uh, So I applaud the FAA for picking that definition and it's a workable definition and it works in airplanes. If you see, if I've seen a change in behavior, I've seen learning. Now, one of the things when we talk about that change in behavior is to examine three domains of learning. By domain, we mean, you know, broad area or category. And uh, Dr. Bloom back in the 40s and 50s has broken this down into three broad categories. And his theory has become pretty widely adopted. And uh, so, because it's been adopted and it really works, the theory is pretty widely accepted. The categories are cognitive, affective, and psychomotor. Cognitive is uh, a fancy word for saying, you know, my thinking ability, how I think about it, how I cognitively conceive of it. Um, affective, um, what we're talking about here are my judgments, my feelings, my attitudes towards things psychomotor is a fancy way of saying my physical skill how my brain and my cerebellum move through my uh, um, nervous system to allow me to do physical skills like manipulate a a flight yoke in an aircraft the reason i mention that is i don't want any of us to think that anything that we teach is in any of the domains specifically pretty much everything we do is in all three domains at one time. When we teach as instructors, um, we tend to generally focus in on one or the other above or more than another. For example, <clears throat> we're teaching a, a student how to climb an airplane. Well, when I climb the airplane, there's the physical psychomotor skill of pitch, power, trim. How do I physically move this thing? What do I physically do? And we tend to focus on that a lot. <clears throat> um, certainly, there is the, the cognitive ability um, that has to do with clump. What is a climb? How does the airplane climb? Is it excess lift? No, it's not. That's a common misconception. We know it's excess thrust. Um, there's different types of climbs. What are the different climb speeds? What are they for? This is all cognitive. Um, and then eventually, I start to form attitudes about climbs. Well, when would I use a VX? Why would I use a Vy? Should I plan ahead? Nah, forget it. I don't need to plan my climb. Well, <laughs> you know that's not a real safe attitude. In fact, we do need to plan our climb. And as we move through the effective domain, we start. Eventually, we see students saying, "Are you kidding me? I wouldn't plan a takeoff without planning my climb." So all three of these are integral in every skill we teach. So when we look at them. Um, We look at them as educators because we tend to sort of tease them out and focus on one or the other. Um, So we're looking for changes in behavior, all three domains, to see that learning occurred. Well, why would I change my behavior? What's going to cause me to change my behavior? Uh, In short, motivation something motivates me to change my behavior, something motivates me to learn. We're motivated uh, to act, to behave in certain ways. So uh, John, let's pop over to the next slide and talk about the teacher-learner relationship. So if we agree that learning is a change in behavior and we say to each other, well, we're motivated to act or behave in certain ways, then um, what I propose to instructors is that the behavior and the motivation for it, the motivation for that behavior, are linked and processed through a relationship. So you can prove this to yourself if you think about yourself and you think about your own relationships. Some of us are married girlfriends, boyfriends, children, parents, you think about those relationships and we think about what we do in those relationships and we think, hmm, a lot of what I do in and outside of that relationship is motivated by that relationship. And I'm motivated to work and change within that relationship. So, sorry about that. Go ahead, go, go ahead, Bob. This is kind of what we're driving at when we talk about teaching. Without, Without that relationship, we're just, oh, read a page, read a book, tell you something.
1: Yeah. And that's what we, I'm sorry, you got me excited here. I apologize. Yeah, I just, good,
2: good, good, I'm excited too.
1: So where, where I wanted to go with that for a moment, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, we've all seen that, well, we've all seen the Ben Stein flight instructor, Bueller, Bueller. Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> right. and, then there's, and, and, and then the, um, but the other one is the old joke about, well, I can make I can teach this guy to fly. I just have to get I just have to roll up the sectional chart a little tighter and whack him just a little harder. Yeah. And that's really, you know, if you think about any other interpersonal relationship, which is what you're saying here, that flight instruction is, obviously that you're gonna get negative results. You're gonna get de- if anything, demotivated. Or the motivation is fear, loathing. I don't want to go to the airport today, but I got to. Whatever, whatever comes out of that so I know that's kind of a negative what you're saying but we've seen these things and I guess what I'm proposing by reaffirming by what you're saying what you're talking about is it's a heck of a lot more fun and more exciting to go the other way to go the other way
2: Mm -hmm. mmm mmm yeah yeah absolutely agree so John flip us to the next uh, slide and let's look at motivation for a second so If we think about um, motivation as the key, and we think about motivation moving through a uh, relationship, it's because of our influence, because our influence on motivation is key, this relationship is crucial, okay? We do things because we need to. I need to go to work to pay my car payment. I want to. I want to go to the airport to fly the airplane, or we seek to. Uh, you know, I seek to gain this approval or I seek to gain this recognition. If we look at airports and airplanes and flight students and flight instructors, most of us see that uh, most flight students come to the airport or come to the airplane motivated. Um, Now, I won't talk about other aspects of teaching. Some of you might have K-12 experience, and uh, (laughs) there's a lot of situations where uh, learners are not necessarily motivated, and that's a whole other conversation. We're kind of lucky in flight instruction. Most of our students are pretty doggone motivated to fly. So if that's true, then as CFIs, next slide, please, John, thank you. What we really have to focus on is just not killing it. They come to us that way. All right. <clears throat> so, our main goal here is just not to kill it. Well, how do I not kill it? <laughs> Can we talk? <laughs> um, and, and you hear people, you know, they use that quote Can we talk? And what that means is, uh, We want I want to have an honest conversation with you, you know, Uh, and then that really is key. One of the real keys to this is to be able to be honest. If I've built a relationship, I've built it on trust. One thing I hear uh, um, um, flight instructors in training ask me a lot. And even other people outside of that is, well, we talk a lot about trust. We talk about building trust. How do you build trust? You stop and you think and you go, well, yeah, that's true. How do you build trust? You say, well, trust me. That doesn't work that way. We build trust by being trustworthy. So I teach my students, show them you're trustworthy. How do I do that? Little things. Show up on time. Never, ever disrespect them. Um, get to know them. Who are they? I don't want to walk up to them and say, your name again was, uh, I'm sorry, was it Fred? Fre- no, Bob, Bob. Sorry, Bob. No, no, no. You know, build a little relationship. Find out who they are. Remember their name. Be on time. Say what you're going to say. <clears throat> you might be surprised. Those little tiny things over time in your student's brain, they're going, hmm, you know what? This guy's never yelled at me. He's answered every question I've asked him, even though I thought some of my questions were kind of dumb. He's always treated me with respect. I can trust this guy. You're building that relationship. You're building a professional friendship. <clears throat> um, and I talk to my students about these relationships and these friendships, and they say, "Well, hmm, I'm not sure. What does that mean? <clears throat> you know, should we go out drinking together on the weekend?" or doing whatever you do, you know, going sailing together or surfing together if you don't drink, whatever. No, I'm not talking about a personal friendship. What we're building here is a professional friendship. So we've got some knowledge of each other's background. We've got some mutual trust. Uh, We have a professional friendship. The other way that we build trust is Um, I use the example of the desk in quotation marks. Oftentimes you might walk into somebody's office and in between you and that person literally is a piece of furniture, the desk. You're on that side, I'm on this side. We've got a relationship. It's a power relationship. Obviously, I'm on this side of the desk so we know who has the power. Um, Now, with my students, what I do is I turn the desk sideways. We literally sit on the same side of the desk. We say, our mutual goal is, let's say it's a private pilot's license or whatever it might be. And we are going to work together toward that mutual goal. Uh, The next thing to do, or another thing to do, um, another thing to think about is watch your student and observe. Now, when I say observe, and I intentionally left that, <clears throat> that off on the slide. I don't, I don't mean observe the student. I mean observe yourself. Of course, we're observing our student. But watch your student and observe yourself. Do I do the same thing over and over again? I get the, I'm get i watching my student, and I do the same thing over and over again, and then I ask myself, how come they're not learning? In other words, how come their behavior not changing? You know the definition of that same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Right, we call that a definition of insanity. Observe yourself. How many times have you done that? I know I've done it. So, watch your student observe yourself. Also, um, I teach shifting the focus. Move the focus from the syllabus and the logbook, move it away from the syllabus and away from the logbook and move it towards safety and competence. Sometimes a hard lesson for students to realize that they can't buy a certificate, they have to earn the certificate. Um, Hard for a number of reasons, not the least of which is financial. I mean, it's expensive. But shift the focus towards what we're doing is we're making you safe, we're making you competent, and we're doing it together.
1: What, and and Mike, what I really enjoy hearing as you as you talk about this is I don't even know if you're conscious of it, but you're saying we all the time. It really is a partnership between the student and ourselves right or students if you're in a group situation such as a ground school. It's all about forming that bond, that partnership and getting the buy-in and I really like the, the point you made about having to earn that certificate, we got to make, make we have to make sure you are safe. That gets them the buy-in that they need and makes them part of the process rather than just pour, try, attempting to unscrew their skull and pouring the knowledge in. That's it, that's it.
2: And hopefully um, if if we are doing many of the things that, that we're talking about and describing on this slide, we're building that relationship, we're building the trust. Um, so uh, John, if you'll take us to the next slide, One of the difficulties we have as flight instructors is uh, that student who just doesn't get it. And oftentimes, um, it's it's frustrating for us because we're thinking, well, why? You know, clearly, I'm a good instructor. I must be one of the best instructors in the world. Uh, really? Yeah. You know, it takes a little bit of self-examination to say, Uh, It's not always the student, right? Maybe it would be me. Uh, So the key is to recognize this problem, and the earlier the better. Now, what I'm proposing is if we're just telling instruction, it's kind of hard to recognize that. If we're in a relationship with a learner, um, it's going to be a lot easier to recognize it. Is it a mutual problem? Is it me? Is it the student? What can we change? What can we do better? Uh, You're going to recognize it earlier with a relationship because you know who they are. So some of the signs might be, um, um, are they uh, secure in their self? we talk about this when we talk about defense mechanisms in the psychology of learning. But you know, are they secure in who they are? Are they comfortable in their own skin? Uh, do they have a positive self-identity? Do they think of themselves negatively? Oh well, you know, I never could do that. My folks always told me I'd be nothing. All right, I've got kind of a negative self-identity. Or you know, maybe they're very positive and and uh, self-motivated. Yeah, I can do this. Um, Do they have some affiliation? Do they feel part of this group we call pilots? Now, remember earlier when we talked about the desk. If I turn the desk sideways and we sit on the same side right there, you might not know it, but you are, as part of that relationship, helping them feel affiliated. Oh, hey, yeah, I can do this too. I'm part of this group. And and help them, you know, recognize or refine, find or refine that sense of purpose. So, a couple of keys for students who take longer. Recognize it early. And if I'm in a relationship, I'm going to recognize it a lot sooner than if I'm just telling. Separate the person from the problem. Okay. If. I have to break the news to my student that uh, their 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 stalls are poor, their landings are not acceptable, or this or that is 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 below requirements. I'm not a. i am not I want to be sure they understand. I'm not attacking you personally. We're not attacking them personally. We're saying, look, we have a relationship. I know who you are. You're a great person. The skill that we're trying to master is separate from who you are. Then emphasize that together you're going to work towards that goal. Look, I already have my private pilot's license. I realize that's your goal. Together, we are going to get you there. I'm going to work as hard on this as you are. And then thirdly, uh, one thing that sometimes helps, and every student's different, But emphasize that safety and competence. Let's shift away from the syllabus. Let's stop looking at um, just the fact that uh, I'm, I'm trying to land on a certain runway at the same airport over and over again and start to shift the focus more towards For example, landings in general, at any airport, anywhere, what are they about? What's included in that? Sometimes just that shift in focus towards stop thinking about a private pilot lesson and start thinking about being a pilot. Oh, okay, yeah, that's safety and competence for the rest of my career. And then clearly keeping the end in mind, you know, clearly having that purpose, that goal, you know, set that out there. Don't be too big with that purpose or that end in mind. You know, we all get students who, I'm flying a big iron. I'm here because I'm going to fly triple sevens. Well, congratulations, maybe you are. Right now, let's pare that down to something a little more achievable. You know, okay, private pilot license. Well, you've got three hours. How about stage check one or first solo? You know, so break it down into motivational little bits. Um, but they still need to clearly see that big uh, picture at the end. So, John, that takes us to the next slide where we talk about the end in mind. Uh, We frequently think of that end as the ACS or PTS. Um, In CFI and ATP, we still have the PTS, but whatever we call it. Uh, And as true as that may be, what... I would encourage you to do is shift away from the focus on the test. Teach to what the test is about, not to the test. In other words, the ACS has sections on short and soft field landings. Well, let's teach to what short and soft field landings are about rather than to the ACS on short and soft field landings. So I have a student who says, well, I'm never going to do a short field landing. I'm going to fly for the airlines. I'm I'm the guy who's going to fly those triple sevens. Well, are you going to fly it into Princess Mariana at St. Martin? Oh, everybody's seen those videos on YouTube, right? So guess what? That is a short field landing for that guy. In fact, not only is that a short field landing, he has to have, or she, has to have a special qual from their airline. Bing, big lights go off. Yeah, okay, this works. So it's not about that ACS or PTS, it's about those
1: skills. One of the, uh, and and Mike, I'm going to interrupt for a second, but yeah, one of the, one, uh, and I stole this from a very wise uh, <laughs> inspector, I think uh, out of St. Louis. Um, he pointed out that all they're doing, all they or the, or the uh, DPEs are doing our quality control check of our work one thing we have to always remember is we say three magic words on every endorsement I certify that so that person should be ready to go and all the all the DPE or the inspector is doing is saying looks good to me yeah yeah and 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 Bob we both train flight instructors
2: and one of the things I do is as I drive that point home to them, I said, you realize how much faith and trust the examiners and inspectors put
1: in you? And the students' families and their friends. Yeah. And, and right. I, yeah, exactly. So I'll have them, I'll have them step
2: back uh, in the classroom and look at the entire wall. And I say that entire wall is your student's entire training. Now walk up to the wall, get this far away from the wall, and look at this little box okay and that's what the examiner sees in i mean even if it's a full day even if it's a four hour oral and a four hour flight all they're seeing is that box the rest is up to you uh and that's a realization for some young flight instructors Uh, yeah so by striving for that end in mind for that goal um, I'll tell my I'll tell my one hour flight student who's you know fluctuating his altitude by 300 feet. Hey, yeah, of course you're going to fluctuate 300 feet. I mean that's no big deal. Gross motor skills at the beginning, and they fine tune as we proceed. But the goal is if my altitude's 2,700 feet. Notice I didn't say 3,000 because everybody goes to 3,000. It's not. 2,600 to 2,800, it's 2,700. Now, what I'm not going to do is beat him over the head and say, I said 2,700. And What I'm going to do is turn it around to the positive and say, you know what professional pilots do? If we're off by this much, we correct. Plants yep. a seed in his head, he says, well, I'm going to be like you. What's that? Affiliation. I want to be affiliated to this group. right? No pressure, no yelling, no screaming. Even though I'm off by 150 feet, look at me. I'm correcting back to the altitude I want. Yeah, that's how it's done. Now, imagine we get 50 hours into the future. I unfold the ACS in front of him. He looks at it and he goes, plus or minus 100? Who wrote that? There you go. There you, <laughs> you go. Know, exactly right. I, yeah. You know. <laughs> so that's what we're talking about here. We're keeping that end in mind. We're keeping that that, that, that professionalism um, and strive for these goals from the start
1: and as one as one of our, our our listeners noted here that this is this has been a great discussion about professionalism but the underlying theme is getting away making sure that we're getting away from I'm, I'm going to go back to Ben Stein for a second Bueller Bueller doing it the same way every time it's tailoring right. It's finding out what's going on in that other person's head and yes you have and you get into it in chapter six as you mentioned you have the lesson plan you have the architecture right but there's everybody's different everybody learns differently i certainly learn differently than you you learn differently than me different things trip our triggers and that's really what this is about it yeah and the neat thing about this if you do it really right professionalism and the goal of teaching get married together automatically you almost can't help but do it yep exactly
2: exactly yep they marry together early on and it creates that sense of professionalism that sense of affiliation it moves their focus towards safety and competence Uh, granted I know it's expensive but um, if I have that relationship Bob that you're talking about it's tailored to them Specifically, um, how did I get that? I I had to build trust to build a relationship. Otherwise, if I just tell them, tell them, tell them,
1: tell them, tell them, in the end, that actually takes longer and costs more. Let's and costs more. Cost more. Yeah, the right. value is is providing this upfront. Right, and so, you get a good rep out of the deal. Exactly.
2: I can I can tailor it to you and be very specific. Um, And this is what I mean when I say it's messy. It's very messy because it's that individual person, never looks the same way twice. If you think that that lesson plan you wrote uh, in your CFI ground school is gonna be the the lesson plan that you use for every student, well, you know, learn early, that ain't true. The big picture is true, that skill set's true, that end in mind is true, But how that student gets there is going to be unique. And it's going to be unique within that relationship. Absolutely. The other thing that relationship does towards this end in mind, and that's the last bullet there, it keeps what I call a safe brain. Now, in Chapter 9 of the handbook, we talk about risk management. And in my book, in Chapter 9, I talk about the fact that uh, you can't, you you just cannot underestimate how important that is. Absolutely, that comes first and foremost. Um, we're getting safely back on the ground. <clears throat> Once that is managed and in place, then we have to think of the risk of learning, which sounds kind of crazy. What risk of learning? Well, for adult learners, it's honestly the risk of exposing myself to say, I don't know. It's easy for children. Children learn differently than adults do. That's hard for adults. In order to do that, I have to feel safe. So we're not talking about the physical safety of risk management. We're now talking about the psychological safety of a relationship where a student can say, "Um, boy, I've got a really stupid question. And I teach this to my students. Say, now, if I say I have a stupid question, how does that make me feel? Stupid. I just call myself stupid. I Said, do this. I have a clarifying question. I said, isn't that what professional pilots do? What I call Daytona approach, and they they asked me to maintain a r- r- altitude. I said, hmm. Was that seven thousand or nine thousand? Ah, screw it. I'll just go to eight. <laughs> no. What do we do? We get on the radio. You say, Hey, approach, was that 7,000? Yeah, yeah, it was 7,000. Boom. What is that? It's a clarifying question. So I tell my students turn it around. Take out the word stupid, put in the word clarify. Now you're professional, safe, and competent. You, Bob, you wouldn't. You wouldn't believe the number of students. You know, they they actually come up to me and they emphasize, Mr. Mike, they call me, I have a clarifying question. Like, yeah, way to go. What is it? But they feel safe enough to ask. Why? Their physical safety is not in jeopardy at this point. We're standing on the ramp. They have a psychological safety that says, I can ask. I can ask. The other thing they do is they see me ask. I tell my young flight instructors this all the time. They're not going to do what you tell them to do. They're going to do what they see you do. And they see me take fuel samples. They see me with the knee board. They see me use paper charts as well as my iPad. They see me do all this. They see me read my game and they see me ask questions of other flight instructors. Hey Russ, what's the deal on this airspace thing here? They're thinking, Mr. Mike's asking a question. Holy cow! I thought he knew everything. Nope, ain't so. Right? It's just, it's just not so. So you set up this environment where they feel like they can have that relationship. Now we're teaching. Now we're teaching. We're not just
1: telling. And and part so, of that, and part of that, I want to. Is we all have different styles. I tend to go to a, um, I along with what you said to a humble style i tell i tell them the day i know every the day i think i know everything about aviation that ticket's going right back to oak city we're done
0: mm-hmm. right
1: yeah. so yeah. i so it's kind of it's empowering to them to say you don't know everything you know they they ask what's the approach speed of a 737 like, hell i'm not type rated i don't know <laughs> right yeah you know i run yeah. four flight when i'm on when i'm on an airliner you know and i gamble yeah. I yeah. really don't know those numbers, you know, and I, yeah. Saying,
2: oh. yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. So what we're building here um, is a situation where once their physical needs are met, once that risk is managed, now their brain feels safe and um, it is less inclined or hopefully really uninclined to move into this fight or flight response and we talk more about the fight or flight response later in the book but it's 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 a real physiological response that we have even with training and practice do not have total control over. Mm -hmm. Uh, so if we can eliminate that then the brain is saying all right don't have to fight i don't have to run I'm oversimplifying right now, but what's happening physiologically is my brain is saying, "All right, let's learn something." In psychology, we call that a relaxed state of awareness. All right, now I'm teachable. Now I'm now I can learn. So um, that kind of wraps up what I talk about in Chapter One, in parallel to the Aviation Instructor Handbook Chapter One. And then what I ask people to do uh, on the next slide is a couple of completion activities, followed by a couple of competencies. Uh, But we'll do the activities first and say, well, based on what uh, Mike is talking about here, based on what I've read in Chapter 1 of the uh, Aviation Instructor's Handbook, hmm, what's my approach? What's my philosophy? What do I think about teaching? Uh, maybe I've never really thought about that before. It may very well be that um, all I really thought about is going to fill in the blank website for X amount of dollars to learn the test questions because I know there's only 60 on the FOI and I'm good to go, right? Now right. maybe I'm, I'm starting to rethink it for the first time. What is my teaching philosophy? As I look back in my experience, my K-12 education, or if I had military training, or any technical college, college or graduate school training, look back on all the teachers I've had. Hmm. What did I like? What did I not like? What is my philosophy? Then ask yourself, how much or how little a teaching uh, learning relationships involved in, in, in your approach to? To teaching and learning, so powerful Once, activities
1: here. Yeah, it is, and it takes it takes a little courage to sit down and ask yourself those questions. It's not it always that. a fun task. You don't always you don't always like the answer that you get, and really, what takes uh, some thought is how to change it. You're self teaching. Speaking of changing behavior, you're teaching yourself in that case. The other thing, uh, so as I point out to all you know, CFI's and the to older ones too, we're all learning from our students as well as they are learning from us. As they are learning from us. The yes, other thing again, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I would I would add to your list, and may, and and I don't recall if you have it in the book, but uh, I'm stealing this from Greg Brown, is ask the student, how'd I do today. Oh yeah
2: right absolutely
1: yeah, you may absolutely. not you may not like what you hear it may sting mm-hmm. like a son of a gun mm-hmm. but if you don't find out you'll never know especially in that that you've just empowered them to give you the the answer and right and allows and, them to teach you something and you further build that trust absolutely. and the
2: other thing you have to realize is <clears throat> if you don't ask them that because you you think, hmm, I might be uncomfortable with the answer, so I guess I won't ask. Just because you didn't ask, that response is still out there. Oh, yeah. Just because you didn't collect it, it's still out there. So if you remember that, then you say to yourself, well, then I may as well know. (laughs) So I may as well ask, because it's out
1: there anyway. And on top of it, if you don't get it out in the open, it's a barrier for both sides yep 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 so
2: think it through put a little reflection into it and then the competency challenge john that's the final screen here the competencies for this first uh, chapter are to sit down and write it here's my philosophy the second competency is to look at my my learners and even if I'm not an active CFI, <clears throat> look, we've all taught, and we, we're all we're all teachers, and we're all learners. Some of us professionals, some of us learning, some of us informal. But recognize what motivates and what demotivates your flight student, then use that knowledge to help in the relationship. So I challenge you. I challenge you to complete these competencies. And it's been great fun. Um, I hope my enthusiasm for this topic shines through. I love this stuff. I love teaching. I love flying. And honestly, mostly I love learning. So.